At little Johnny's house, it was time for bedtime prayers. So he headed into his room and, and climbed up in his bed. And this particular night, his mom and his grandma were there to pray with him. So mom says, Johnny, you want to start? And Johnny says, okay, mom, I'll, I'll start. And he begins to pray. He says, Lord, bless me, bless mommy, bless grandma, give us strength. Help us to have a good night's rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Then he looks up to heaven and says, And Lord, please give me a bike for Christmas. <laughs> and his mom says, Johnny, God's not deaf. You don't have to shout. And Johnny says, I know God's not, but Grandma is. <laughs> This morning we're going to talk about prayer. Prayer. We know it's a, a theme that, that runs through the Bible from the beginning to the end. This vibrant connection with God through prayer. David in the Old Testament said, said it this way. He said, early in the morning I will seek you. In other words, you're, you're valuable enough to me. I'll sacrifice some of that sleep time that I love so much to to connect with you. Jesus, Mark 1, in the morning a great while before day he rose and went out to a lonely place and there he prayed. Over and over in his ministry, late nights, early mornings, connecting to his Father. The apostles in Acts 6, as they gave themselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Martin Luther the time of the Reformation where he was bringing the church back to what the Word of God said. As he spearheaded that, he said this, I have so much business. Anybody relate to that? I'm busy. <laughs> that I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. He looked at how busy he was and says, I need to pray more because of that. Because of everything God put in front of me. John Wesley sparked a revival in his time as he traveled as an itinerant preacher preaching the gospel. His brother Charles wrote over 10,000 hymns. He said, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. And as a result, John Wesley spent two hours every day in prayer. Now there's one level on which we, we read these things, we hear these things and we say, man, that's encouraging. I, that challenges me. But if we're honest, isn't there another level where we read that and we're kind of discouraged? Because we look and we're like, wow, three hours a day, two hours a day, that, that's like a far discrepancy from where I'm at. But I like what Richard J. Foster said. He said, God always meets us where we are and slowly moves us along to deeper things. God's like that. He's a patient, loving, training father. That's right. He's consistent. He, he, says, he says this as well. He says occasional joggers don't jump into Olympic marathons, do they? No, they, they begin to train and, and they learn. And over time, they get there. He says when such a progression is followed, we can expect to pray with greater authority and spiritual success a year from now than at present. 
we could be excited. We could say, I want to approach this this morning and the rest of my life with an attitude of learning. It's just like I tell those young married couples that I do all the premarital counseling with. Look, you guys are beginning. You're not as close today as you're going to be 30 years from now if you keep learning. If you keep learning how God can help you in your marriage, if you keep learning about each other. Same with prayer. It's an invitation to learn. So, so I pray it's encouraging more than anything. This morning we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the model of prayer, the mindset of prayer, and the motivation behind our prayer. And these all come from Jesus. It comes from a situation where His disciples are asking what you may be asking, what I often ask in my life, Lord, teach us to pray. I hope that's the prayer of each of our hearts this morning. Lord, teach me. Let's have teachable hearts. Luke 11, 1, if you have your Bibles, it says, One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now here we see the model of prayer. We see it two ways, one in his life and one in what he's going to give them in his words. But I want to point out the first way first. What was it that inspired them to ask the question? Jesus was praying. They watched him over the years they were with him. And they saw him staying up late. They saw him going away. They watched him and so they want to know, tell us, teach us how to pray. I read that and I thought, who is it in your life that models prayer for you? Um, it may be somebody when you were younger. It may be somebody right now that you spend time with that when you're with them, you, you want to grow in your prayer life because they're modeling it. For me, there's a couple men that I look to in my life. Uh, one was my father growing up. I remember repeatedly getting ready for school, coming down the stairs, and there's the chair in the living room, and my dad's on his knees with his face in that chair cushion, praying. I will never forget that image. There was a man in Bible college. We, we had these dorms with uh, thin, thin walls. And this guy would go out in the hallway between the, the rooms and pray at night. And I could hear him weeping and, and beseeching God for his help in his marriage and, and in the city of Chicago where we lived and that God would move. And that guy never knew I could hear, but it challenged me. It was a model of uh, passionate prayer. Carolyn and her commitment to prayer has been an inspiration to me. you got probably got people in your life that model prayer for you. The other thing it leads me to ask is, who is it that you're modeling prayer for? I, I love that Jesus was just kind of caught in the act. You know, if you're going to be caught in the act of something, prayer is a great thing to be caught in the act of, right? His disciples are just watching and they're inspired. Who's watching you? And, and what sort of example of prayer are we giving? He modeled it with his life. He modeled it with his words. He gives them this model prayer. He answers their question. Verse 2, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. There's been a lot of discussion about this. Is it something we should repeat word for word or is it more of a structure? And I want to say as long as our heart's in it, both 
are beneficial, okay? It doesn't have to be an either-or. We could repeat this word for word, and if it's coming from our heart, that's a powerful prayer. Or we can look at the principles in here and say, wow, what is it that Jesus is teaching us? And we're not going to go as in-depth as you may have done in the past because we got 13 verses that, that go beyond just the Lord's Prayer. But I want to point out a couple things about the Lord's Prayer. One is that He starts with His relationship with the Father. It starts there. And then it moves on to needs and other people. That's how He instructs His disciples. Start with the Father and then go on to your own needs and the needs of others. Father. Let's just start with that simple word, Father. This would be revolutionary for some of the hearers when he, when he said this. Father. I can address God as Father. I have this personal, intimate relationship with Him. And Jesus would say, yeah, because of what I did for you, you can have that kind of connection with the God of the universe. Yesterday, I was out at Starbucks at a, an appointment in the morning and before I left, I ran into a friend, and he, he told me a story. It was a story that broke my heart a little bit, because we were talking and hanging out, and I said, well, I better get home. I got a couple boys at home waiting to wrestle with me, because I left, and they said, what time are you going to be home? And uh, when I told him that, he said, they're fortunate to have that. He said, when I was growing up, my dad was always away on business. He said, weeks and weeks at a time. And he told me a story about how him and his brother were at a circus one day. And they're watching the circus with their mom. And behind them, there's a, a family with a father and mother and some kids. And he said, I still remember to this day, at the end of that circus, me and my brother turned around and asked that guy behind us, will you be our daddy? Because we don't have one. Whoa. I mean, that is Heavy. Right? And, and I just wonder, maybe it's because of how we've been raised or some of the things we've gone through in our lives. If some of us have that sort of perception of God. You know, He's out running the universe. How can He possibly have time for me and what I'm going through? And what Jesus is saying is He does. He is your Father who is there. He loves you. He wants to hear from you. He wants to speak to you. So when we pray, we are talking to the Father. Lyndon B. Johnson, former president, had a staff lunch one time, and one of his staffers was a guy named Bill. And Lyndon said, Bill, would you pray for the meal? And Bill prayed, and Lyndon B. Johnson said to him, speak up, I can't hear you. You know what Bill said to Lyndon B. Johnson? I wasn't talking to you. That's a good reminder. <laughs> when I pray, I am talking to the God of the universe. Okay? What a privilege. Goes on to say, Hallowed be your name. What does that mean? First of all, it doesn't mean hollow. Okay? Like, like the brain of someone you might not <laughs> like talking to very much. It doesn't mean hollow. It means hallowed, holy. Set apart. May your name be lifted up. It's a statement of worship. Let your name be lifted up. And here's something God says in Ezekiel. This is what he says. He says, Say to the Israelites 
This is what the Sovereign Lord says. It's not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. What's he saying? He's like, look, my name is going to be lifted up. The choice for each one of us is will we agree with him in that and partner with that and work towards that in our power and pray for that and do it willingly? Or will we be in that group that one day will be forced to their knees and to acknowledge that, yes, your name is holy? We get the privilege of partnering with him in that right now by the way we pray, the way we live. May your name be lifted up. Here's the cool thing. As we do that, C.S. Lewis said, in worship, God imparts himself to us. When we lift him up, we build this connection with the God of the universe. What a privilege. He goes on to say, your kingdom come. In Matthew's version of this, he adds, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Elizabeth Elliot said it this way, prayer lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between His will and its accomplishment on earth. Amazing things happen and we are given the privilege of being the channels of the Holy Spirit's prayer. See what's happening. When we say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we've drawn close to Him in worship so we can hear His heartbeat. And as we stay there in that place of worship and invite His kingdom to come, His ways to be done, our heart starts to beat like His. You've noticed you become like who you hang out with, right? It works with the Father. You hang out with Him, you start to care about the lost and you start to care about the the hurt in the world. And it's not enough for you just to leave it there in prayer. What happens is He starts to transfer His passion and love into you through the Holy Spirit. And we go out. And we make the change that we've been praying for. We partner with God. So we've connected with the Father. Then we go to our needs and the needs of others. First part, give us each day our daily bread. Now in that culture, something we're far removed from here in in our setting, daily bread was a big deal. They they didn't have the stockpiles of food in their fridges and pantries like we do. Often workers were paid daily, and food was a daily agricultural process. It was something that concerned you. I, I need that. God says, bring those daily concerns to me. Give us this day our daily bread. He says, I care about that. I care about your daily needs, the things that concern you. What concerns you today? You guys will appreciate this. I'll show you something. In one of my premarital counseling meetings, and I'll show you this because the names aren't on it, and this is universal with almost every couple. We do what's called a personal stress profile. I want you to look at this and guess which one is the bride-to-be and which one is the (laughs) husband-to-be. You're all laughing (laughs) because most of you know the blue one is the the (laughs) husband-to-be. And the, the green one is the bride to be. And in the inventory, it actually breaks down what the stress is coming from. Here's the bride's list. Cost of wedding, dealing with your parents, 
Decisions about wedding details, eating too much or too little, lack of time for family, lack of time for fiancé, overweight or underweight, owe too much money, fiancé not getting things done. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The husband-to-be had very few things on his list. You know what the top thing was? Fiancé stressed out by wedding planning. (laughs) Ah, these are concerns in their lives right now. You have concerns in your life right now. I have concerns in my life. And when, when Jesus invites us to say, to say, give us each day our daily bread, he's assuring us God cares about that concern you have today. He wants you to bring it to him. There's nothing too big or too small. He goes on to say, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. I had one mentor that called this keeping short accounts with God. You know, who will admit that as we walk with Jesus, once we come to Him, there are moments where we still sin, right? One of my mentors told me that the mark of a growing maturity is how quickly do I take that to God and confess it and agree with Him that, yes, this is wrong, and thank you for the cleansing you've given me in Jesus. Help me not to do that again. And you'll notice there's a connection between our forgiveness and how we forgive others. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. God's a God who says, you like that forgiveness I gave you? Pay it forward. And if you don't, you're not going to experience the peace and joy. I'm not going to take away your salvation, but as long as you hold bitterness against someone else, you're not going to experience the full peace and joy of the forgiveness I've given you. They're connected. You are a conduit blessed to be a blessing. Don't forget that connection. He closes by saying, lead us not into temptation. Matthew adds, but deliver us from evil. The rest of this chapter we're in in Luke, we're going to see spiritual opposition from Satan. We're going to see religious opposition that comes against Jesus and his disciples. He's telling us, prayer is essential when we prepare for the battle. We often forget that in Ephesians 6 when Paul talks about the spiritual armor, one of the things he says is pray in the Spirit in all occasions. This is essential preparation for the battle. So he focuses in on the Father and then he says focus in on your needs and the needs of others. There's his model for prayer. Will we take this model and practice it in our lives? Will we be a model for someone else? Will we look for a model to encourage us? Jesus is the ultimate model. Now I want to get to the mindset of our prayer. Jesus said to them, verse 5, suppose you have a friend. And you go to him at midnight and say, let me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. I want you to imagine the scene, right? This is before Walmart, obviously. 
Okay, and often people would travel at night because it's hot during the day. So this is not all that uncommon. His listeners would be like, yeah, I can see that happening. But imagine you're the guy, they have group beds often in those days, like he says in the story. The whole family's asleep in there. How many of you know you don't wake a sleeping baby? <laughs> right? I saw the hearts post that this week. I said, amen in my heart. <laughs> you don't wake a sleeping baby. You're laying there at midnight and... Is anybody there? Hey, hey, Bill, I need some bread. I got some visitors over at my house. You got any? Don't bother me. Don't bother me. But what happens? The, the, the person at the door has what Luke calls shameless audacity. Some people say persistence. Some, some versions say impudence. I like the word persistence. I also like this shameless audacity. Just keeps knocking. And Jesus says here, hey, even though he doesn't do it immediately, because you keep knocking, he's going to get up and give you as much as you need, right? Saying be persistent in your prayer. And listen, the point is not like God's like that grumpy guy in the bed, okay? It's kind of like if, if even this grumpy guy in the bed got up because of your persistence, imagine what a loving father is going to do. God's not the grumpy guy in the bed, don't. Don't take that away from this. And I thought about this, and I just want to share a couple areas where, where our family keeps knocking on behalf of the church. Me and Carolyn and, and the elders at the church keep praying for several things. We look at our children's ministry and our youth ministry, and we want to keep growing in those areas. And we've had regular prayers where we're knocking on that door, haven't we, here? Carolyn would tell you the same thing. I know many of you are praying for us, for the church in that area as well. We keep knocking. We keep saying, God, help us to grow in those areas. As parents, we keep knocking regularly. God, help us to teach our boys to know your grace, what that really means, to love you with all their heart and to obey you and to obey us, not just because they have to, but because they love you. Please help us to instill that in them. Please do that, Father. It's not a one-time prayer. We continue to knock for those things. That's why Jesus goes on to say in verse 9, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What's cool about this is you can't see it in the English, but the tense of those words... Ask, seek, and knock. It's keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Don't stop. A-S-K. There's an easy way to remember it. Ask, seek, knock. Very cool way to remember it. I think about this, and I also think about something else Jesus said. You know, he said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you could look at that mountain and tell it to move, and it'll move, right? And there are times where the obstacles in our lives will do that. There are times that's God's plan for that mountain to move. I will tell you from personal experience, and you'll admit it from your own life, you'll see it in the Bible. There are times where it's not God's will for the mountain or the wall to move. It is His will for us to climb that wall. I was challenged by this in my quiet time this week. I, I was reading in 2 Samuel, David's writings. You know, he faced so many battles. He was running from Saul, waiting to be king. 
he faced literal physical battles, and he had this great line in one of his psalms that's also recorded in 2 Samuel 22.30, With my God, I can scale a wall. Sometimes God's will is to move the wall or the mountain, but when it's not, I put when the enemy puts a wall on your path, climb it. <laughs> right? That's sometimes God's will for us. And the, the cool thing is he doesn't say is climb it alone. What's it say at the beginning of that verse? With my God, I can scale a wall. He says, I'm there with you. Sometimes his will is for us to climb. Honestly, with church planting, I, I meet with a lot of other church planters and we pray together and stuff, and a common theme, the enemy constantly comes against us. Throw in the towel. Throw in the towel. You experience it in your own ministries too sometimes, don't you? Throw in the towel. He comes at us. That's a mountain that needs climbed. It doesn't go away. <laughs> the enemy keeps attacking, but you know what, with God's help, I can climb that wall. You can climb that wall. On Thursday, I met with eight other church leaders from other area churches to hear about the, the foster needs in our state. It's an organization called Christian Family Care that wants to bring an office up here later this year. You know what they told us? There are over 18,000 children in the foster system in Arizona. 18,000. That's enough to fill the Prescott Valley Event Center three times. That's a wall. We want to seek God to move that wall, but it's a wall that He wants to partner with us to climb that wall and say, hey, what role do our churches play in getting into these kids' lives? Maybe some of us need to bring them into our homes. Maybe some of us need to give financially to help, help solve this problem. With my God, I can scale that wall. Recently met with a woman who doesn't go to our church whose husband is repeatedly having affairs on her. Me and Carolyn sat down with her that is a wall in her life right now. And her husband is exercising his ability to choose to hurt her. And facing choices, what do I do? Me and my kids. With my God, I can scale this wall. And we may ask, alright, why doesn't God just remove every mountain? Why doesn't He just remove every wall? I don't know all the reasons. All right? But one thing I do know is when we climb that wall with Him, when we're persistent in prayer, we keep asking and seeking and knocking while we climb that wall, you know what? We're building an awesome relationship with our Father, aren't we? And sometimes, if you're like me, it's only when that wall's there that my prayer life is all that it can be. <laughs> I'm just being honest. It shouldn't be that way. But sometimes those are the deepest moments of intimacy in that walk with the Father. Abraham and Isaac. I mean, in that situation, God built the, <laughs> God built the wall. You sacrifice your son. I mean, if you believe in a God that always wants your life to be easy, I don't know what you'd do with that story. <laughs> you imagine the walk up there with the, the boy, all your hopes and dreams are on this boy. What's going through Abraham's mind? But you can also imagine the trust and the love and the obedience going back and forth between Abraham and his heavenly father. God didn't want the boy to be sacrificed. He wanted Abraham's love and trust and obedience. That's what we find sometimes when we're praying. Often we're like the little girl. 
She's at home one day. She's, it's one of those days when school's off, so she's at home for longer than usual. And maybe getting into a little more trouble than usual. And, and mom finds her doing something she's not supposed to do, so mom sends her to the office, and you say, you go in there and pray about that. And so she goes in the office, and 15 minutes later, she, the little girl comes out, and she says, I'm done praying. And mom says, fine, that should help you be good. And the little girl says, oh, I didn't ask God to help me be good. I just told him to help you put up with me. <laughs> her, her prayer was focused on changing mom, right? That wasn't where that prayer needed to go. Sometimes in our prayer life, it's us that God wants to change. While we're climbing that wall, while we're facing that obstacle. That's what Richard J. Foster said. To pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. If we're unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. The closer we come to the heartbeat of God, the more we see our need, and the more we desire to be conformed to Christ. I don't know God's will in every situation, but I know sometimes He calls us to persist in prayer and climb that wall because He's working to transform us. That's right, building character. So now we've got the model of prayer, Jesus, and the prayer He gave His disciples. We've got the mindset, this mindset of persistence. Keep on asking, seek, knocking. Finally, I want to talk about the motivation of prayer. Verse 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Any of you fathers in the room that would do that? Nobody raised their hand. (laughs) If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? What's the point here? Here's the motivation for prayer. We have a Father who loves to give good things to His children. He loves His children. You believe in a Father like that, that loves you? Loves to give you good things? You remember Jesus earlier had said, let the little children come unto me. Talks about a childlike faith. Keith Green says it this way in his song, Soften Your Heart. You try to make things so complicated, but you don't really have to be so smart. No, you won't learn a thing until you soften your heart. And I think about the way children approach their fathers. If it's a good father that loves them, there's not... There's not a lot of forethought. There's not a lot of planning. There's not a lot of trepidation. Like I'm working on my sermon this morning and my boy Jaden wakes up and he comes up and says, can I use your phone? He's, he's got an app on there where he, it's an NBA app. He loves checking out. I'm like, sure. He just comes right up and asks, all right? And I, I gave it to him. He wasn't some big plan before. It's just a simple question. Yesterday, we had breakfast burritos and, and we made bacon. And Jaden loves bacon. 
All right, we threw this bacon in the oven, and the whole time it's cooking, he cannot wait. He calls himself the Baconator. He ate the bacon on his plate, he ate his breakfast burrito, and he went back to that plate of bacon on the counter three times and got more bacon. He wasn't worried like, is dad going to be upset or are we going to run out of bacon? As far as he knows, we got an endless supply of bacon. You know, he just, he, he just goes and gets that bacon because he, he loves it. That's how children approach their fathers. And I, you know what, I'll be honest, I'll speak for me and Carolyn, we love when our boys enjoy something. We love to provide that for them. Okay? God loves to take care of His children. I want to give you a couple examples of this. Before Carolyn and I met, she, she broke things off with a guy that she knew wasn't walking with the Lord. And it was painful, but she knew what she needed to do. Well, there was a day where she was working at the grocery store where she was a cashier. And in Ohio, we have this holiday called Sweetest Day. They don't have it out here. It's like in October. And it's one more day where you get flowers and candy for your sweetheart. Well, she was standing there that day, day after she had broken things off and just feeling the weight of it. She didn't say it out loud or anything, but while she's working, you know, she just had this thought like, God, it sure would be nice if someone would bring me flowers today. And within a couple hours, her friend Becky came in the store with this bouquet of flowers. said, Carolyn, I just want to give this to you today. (laughs) And Carolyn knows that yes, that came through Becky, but that was God saying, I love you. I've got you. Thanks for obeying me. I'm going to walk through this with you. We had another situation when we lived in our studio apartment in Chicago. We couldn't make ends meet with our bills, and it was time to give to God at the church. And you know, you have that tug of war and God brought us to the place where we say, okay, we'll trust you. We gave to the church and one of the, one of the needs we had was we, had, we were driving around on a donut on our Dodge Neon. And later that week we heard a thud on our apartment door and I opened the door and there's no one there. There's the exact tire we needed with a receipt that said, take it to such and such a place, it's paid for, they'll put it on. We hadn't told anybody about it. Somebody evidently in our apartment building, God laid it on their heart. Hey, just do this. He, he took care of us. Now, I want to point out something there. We didn't open the door and find a Lamborghini. Okay. <laughs> we didn't find a private jet. Alright, it was the spare, t- it was the tire that we needed. Right? God promises to care for our needs. He doesn't promise everything we would like. One more recent one that Carolyn shared with me that that really spoke to my heart. It, the, those were physical items, but often it's the spiritual, emotional things that are more important. Carolyn and, and I were going through a transition in our home as Evan starts kindergarten soon. And so last year we started processing through that. We thought he might start last fall. Turns out it's this fall. But last fall, you know, especially Carolyn is the mom who's been home full time with both these boys. It's a new season. All right. What does this look like now that both boys are at school all day? You know, you find a lot of your identity in being mom at home. And so she's wrestling with those questions, and there's a retreat that she went to up at Camp Pine Rock during that time. And she told me that when she went to that retreat, you know, got that time alone, opened the Word, God just gave her exactly what she needed. And what was it that, hey, your identity is in me? You're my daughter. That's where you find your significance and your worth. 
whatever this next chapter is like, that's who you are. That's what really matters, my daughter. <laughs> and so she took that home. She brought that home. And, and she's found her identity in that. Now this year, when, when Evan is preparing for kindergarten, God threw a little icing on the cake. Carolyn loves to make things beautiful. She loves to do graphics on, on the computer. She helped design our website. She loves to make homes beautiful. And so she, she opened an online shop and an online store where she creates cards to sell. And she had her first card sale a couple weeks ago. And she, she yeah, and, and she, she finds great joy in the process of just being creative, uh, but also the ability to, to make some money off of that. It's kind of cool. But what I love about the way God did it is he said, first, let's deal with the core issue. Your identity's not in that shop or your creativity or whatever job you go to. Your identity's in me. Now that that's established, I'm going to allow you to use some of your passions for my glory and for your family and for your enjoyment. God gave those things to her in the exact order she needed. He's a good God. Romans 8.32, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? See what Paul's doing there? He's like, He gave you His Son. Why do you think He's holding back on you now? He front-loaded this thing with the best gift He could ever give you. Of course He loves you. James 1.17, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. I like what Philip Brooks said. He said, Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of His highest willingness. He wants to bless His kids, right? The greatest thing anyone can do for God and man is pray. It's not the only thing, but it is the chief thing. The great people of the earth today are the people who pray. I do not mean those who talk about prayer, nor those who say they believe in prayer, nor yet those who can explain about prayer, but I mean those people who take time to pray. Paul said, what, pray without? That means never stopping. Now let's be honest. Some of us hear that and we feel kind of like... that lady's name Sweet Brown. A couple summers ago, you remember her? She came out of an apartment building on fire. She's breathing hard. She said, I thought it was a barbecue. Then I realized there was a fire. I got bronchitis. And you remember what she said? Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> I think sometimes we hear Paul say, pray without ceasing. And that's our honest reaction, right? Ain't nobody got time for that. A.W. Tozer said this about prayer. He said, it takes no time, but occupies all our time. What did he mean by that? Unbroken fellowship. Yeah, Thomas Kelly unpacks it. There is a way of ordering our mental life on more than one level at once. Especially for you ladies. Us guys struggle with that. But on one level, we may be thinking, discussing, seeing, calculating, meeting all the demands of external affairs, but deep within, behind the senses at a profounder level, we may also be in prayer and adoration, song and worship in a gentle receptiveness to divine breathings. We can be about our business on one level, 
and deep inside be communing with our Heavenly Father, right? One more. J. Hudson Taylor, missionary. The prayer power has never been tried to its full capacity. If we want to see mighty wonders of divine power and grace wrought in the place of weakness, failure, and disappointment, let us answer God's standing challenge. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Father, thank you for this invitation from your Son, through your Son. It's only through faith in Him that we have this invitation. Because of His death and resurrection in our place, when we trust in that, we get access to the throne room. Father, thank you that Jesus took the time to model prayer with His life, and and He gave us this great model to build our prayer life on. Father first, then us and our needs and the needs of others. He gave us this great mindset of prayer, this persistence. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And He assures us, our motivation for prayer is that we have a loving Father who loves to give good gifts to His children. You've given Your Son, you've given the Holy Spirit. Why do we think You can't handle the other things that we bring before You? Thank You for being a loving Father. 